Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. Introducing myself, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dre Baldwin. I'm a former nine-year professional athlete. I'm the author of 31 books. I'm the creator of this whole framework called, and this business and brand called Work On Your Game, where I took the tools and these strategies and the attributes and the skills that I learned as a pro athlete. And I extracted the pieces that can apply to the business world and into everyday life. And I've created a whole framework and system out of that. And today we're going to touch on some of that. So what I'm going to do here today is I'm going to share you some, some stories and some applications that I got from my experience as an athlete. And what I'm going to share is the best advice at least the best extracted advice, we'll put it that way, that I got from my coaches as an athlete. And these are not necessarily from my professional career. Some of these are from my recreational sports background, some from high school, some from college, and some from the professional level. And what I'm going to do here, how many stories do I have here? I got a bunch. I probably won't get through all of these in this hour. I got at least 12 of them here. I'm going to share with you uh, 12 situations, 12 circumstances and stories of things that I experienced as an athlete dealing with 
the people who were in authority, who most of the time were coaches, but sometimes these might have been uh, people in management. Sometimes it might have been an owner of a team. And some things that happened in those situations, whether they were things that I welcomed or maybe was uh, did not welcome so much when they happened. But I'm not only going to share the story, I'm also going to tell you to follow up what I learned from that experience and how I apply it now, because a lot of what I learned as an athlete shapes my what I do as a business person now, and it shapes my worldview as an individual. So this is what I'm going to do here today. I'm going to share the story, then I'm going to tell you the, the point and what I drew from it, and then I'm going to tell you how I apply it and how it applies to what I do now as an entrepreneur and as a person. So let's get into it because, as I said, I probably won't have enough time to get through all of these stories, and I'll leave some time at the end. I'll stop with about uh, 10 minutes to go. So around 10.50, I'll stop with the stories and we'll open the mic up, see if anyone has anything to add. And if not, then maybe I'll add another story. So let's get into it. So the first one, and these are not in any particular order, just in the order that I thought of them. So this comes from my, the first actual, actually the first basketball team I ever played on was when I was 14 years old. Because I had, I kind of got the basketball a little bit late, relatively speaking, relative to someone who's trying to go somewhere in the sport. I got to the sport pretty late. I played a little bit of football, a little bit of baseball, before I finally got around to basketball around age 14. And the first recreational team I played on was, uh, I was 14 years old. I was a freshman in college, I mean high school, excuse me. I wasn't on the high school team. And my high school, I come from the city of Philadelphia, by the way. We did not have a freshman team and we didn't have a junior varsity team. The only team we had was the the main varsity team. So either you made that team or you didn't play. So my freshman year, I did not make that team. So I wasn't on that team. So I'm, I'm playing in this rec team and it, it was a 14 and under league. And the coach was this guy named Steve. And actually Steve was the source for the first couple of these that I'm going to share. And the first day that we had tryouts, so the tryouts get announced, and this is the way that it worked, at least back then. We're talking, this is probably around 1996. And the tryouts got announced, hey, there's going to be a tryout for a 14 and under basketball team. I go tryout for the team. And the first day that we have the tryouts, there's probably about, now basketball team is about 12 people, so it's probably about 20 kids who come to the tryout. And this first day here, before we're getting ready to go through the layup lines and our rounds and all that stuff, because Steve is evaluating us, all of us are kind of nervous because we're all trying to you know, make sure that we can do something to impress the decision maker, who is the coach, so we can get on this team. And Steve says to us, before we even start, he said, he's holding the basketball in his hand. He said, I'm going to let all of you know something. All right, this is not a tryout. And I remember him saying that. And he went on to say something else, and I don't even remember what else he said. But what I extracted from him saying that, him making that statement, was don't look at anything that you're jumping into as if you are trying to do it, as if you are trying to make the team. What he went on to explain, I don't remember his exact words. I do remember that phrase, but the rest of it was him just explaining to people, look, this is just the first day of practice. Right, we're getting ready for the season. We're going to have a game in a couple of weeks. You're not looking at this as if you are trying to make this team. And he actually, the way it turned out, he was right because Steve didn't have to cut anybody from that basketball team. All he had to do was just keep holding practices. And eventually the players who were going to be on the team, we selected ourselves because we simply kept showing up. And the players who weren't going to be on the team, they cut themselves because they stopped showing up. So he didn't actually have to, he didn't have to run it like a tryout because all the players who weren't going to play stopped showing up. They just stopped coming. And what I took from that, and the reason why I still remember it to this day is when you walk into a situation, you want to see yourself as in that situation as soon as you walk into the door. You go to a job interview and a, a basketball tryout or a sports team tryout is essentially a job interview because your job is to be on the team. You're interviewing, you're auditioning to get on that club. Seeing yourself is in the room. You're not looking at it as, oh, I might make it or they have to choose me or they have to pick me, even though they do. It's the, the mental alchemy of looking at it as, OK, this is just my first day on the job. This is just my first day here. We're just getting to know each other, but I'm in and I know I'm going to be in and I know this is the way that it's going to work. So this first one, probably going to be my shortest one of all these stories that I tell is this is not a tryout, not looking at yourself as attempting to do something, but assuming that is already happening. You are assuming the sale while you're in the process of making the sale. Next one. And for those who came in the middle of that story, I'm just telling some of the the best uh, advice and information and insights that I extracted from things I learned from my coaches as an athlete. The second one was on the same team. So as Steve was right, as I said, this was not a tryout. This coach, Steve, 
we're playing, we finally start, we play in our games. And this was probably maybe the third or fourth game of the season. And this is the first recreational, this is the first organized basketball team I'd ever played on in my life. So I had seen basketball on TV and I had an idea how it was going to go. But being in it is completely different from watching it on television. For those of you who have played a sport, you 100% understand this. And those of you who have only watched it on TV, I think you get it as well. One day we're playing a game. I remember it was a Saturday afternoon game. And we're playing on a, it's a road game. So we're not playing at our home gym. We're playing at somebody else's gym. And these players from the other team, along with the coach, they got a couple of technical fouls, which is basically what happens when you're arguing with the referees, being disorderly and things like that. So these guys get a couple of technical fouls. And the way it works in amateur basketball, a technical foul means two free throws awarded to the other team. So they got two technical fouls. So the referee says to our coach, Steve, hey, your team gets four free throws, coach. Pick a player to shoot these four free throws. And he calls on me. Steve calls me. He calls me over to him and he says, I walk over to him and I know it's four free throws because the referee set it all out. And Steve looks at me and he says, make these. And I said, okay. <laughs> and that's all he said. And now, again, at this point, I'm 14 years old. I hadn't played that much basketball. I played a lot of uh, unofficial basketball, but I hadn't played official under the whistle, as we like to say, with referees and scoreboards and shot clocks and stuff like that up to this point. So I, I had always looked at a shot in basketball. When you shoot the ball, anything other than a layup, I looked at it as kind of a crapshoot. It might go in, it might not. I never looked at it as any shot outside of a layup. You're supposed to make it. So when he looked at me and said, make these, now I'm shooting free throws. For those of you who have seen basketball, you know what a free throw is. The free throw line is exactly 15 feet away from the basket. So this is, you get to throw it in there. Nobody can play defense, but you still got to make the shot. So I'd always looked at a free throw as, okay, you might make it or you might not. But he said, make these as if this is something that he could just tell me to do. And I'm just supposed to do it just because he said it. So, but at the same time, the way that he said it and the way that he kind of gave it to me as a, an order, not a, hey, try to make these. Hey, I need you to make these. Hey, we're depending on you to make them. He just said, make them as if I could just turn it on and off like that. But then I went to the foul line and lo and behold, I made all four free throws. And the message that I got from that, the idea that I took from that is that sometimes just getting the job done, if you don't overthink it, you can do it as long as you're not psyching yourself out by trying to think too much about, well, how am I going to do this? Or it's not supposed to be that easy. Or, hey, I thought a free throw was supposed to be a crap shoot. Sometimes it goes in and sometimes it doesn't go in. When he said make these and the way that he said it, again, the energy and the confidence with which he told me to do it gave me the confidence to believe that it really was that simple. And then I went to the line, did exactly that. And because I succeeded based on his uh, based on what he dictated to me and told me what to do, it gave me more confidence that, you know what, I actually can. I, I actually am a good shooter. I actually can make these shots anytime that I'm open, anytime that I have a shot at the basket, I'm actually going to make it. And then later on during that season, I kind of developed a reputation as the quote-unquote shooter on our team simply because the few times that I got the ball to shoot it, I was actually making shots. And did I have any you – know, had I built up anything that gave me a reason to believe I was that person before I got on the scene? Absolutely not. But because the confidence was put in me and then because I went out and actually delivered the couple of chances that I got on that confidence, I actually had now I had something real behind it. Now I had a real thing behind what I was telling myself. And this is something that I tell people when I talk about my my principle, my framework called the super you, which is all about unlocking and living with your highest level of confidence is that when you don't yet have confidence and one of my TED talks is about this as well, is that. You have to start out sometimes by borrowing your confidence from another person, not faking it till you make it. I actually don't believe in that because there's no such thing as faking it when you're on a basketball court. You can't fake making a shot or you can't fake making a layup. You can't fake grabbing a rebound. You either do it or you don't. So it's not faking it till you make it. It's borrowing your confidence from wherever you can borrow it just for long enough, just long enough that you can go out and execute. And then when you execute on that borrowed confidence, now you can give back the confidence you borrowed to the person you got it from because now you have your own confidence to build on. You don't have to borrow it from anybody else anymore. Now you can look at yourself. You can look in the mirror. And this is exactly what that coach did for me in that moment when he said, make these. He handed me enough confidence for about 30 seconds for me to go to the foul line and make those free throws. 
And now I got my own confidence. Now I don't need it from the coach anymore. I've already made these shots. I know I can do it. Now I don't have to overthink it anymore. Now I'm not psyching myself out. It's just that simple because I had already done it. I could always pull on what I'd already, I could already pull, I could always pull on my own resume because now I had built one by making these four free throws, which took, which took me all of, again, 30 seconds on a Saturday afternoon basketball game between a bunch of 14 year old kids. Moving on to point number three, I'm sharing the best, uh, lessons that I learned from basketball coaches in my uh, years as an athlete. Another story from this exact same team, the same coach, Steve, I remember one day we were in practice and we were working on, we were working on running through a certain play. And the way that the play was designed was that the ball would eventually find its way to me. And I was behind the three point line and I was to shoot a three pointer. And of course I'm supposed to make the three pointer. So we're working on this play and we run through the play one time and the ball finds its way to me. I shoot and I miss. Now, this is just in practice, by the way. Now we run it again. And coach is like, okay, keep working on the play because we're working on the execution of the play. Every step of it, not just the shot, but everything. So we're running through the play again. The ball finds its way to me again. And I shoot again and I miss again. We run through the play again. We get the third time. The ball finds its way to me. And this time I'm open again, but I don't shoot the ball. I pass it to somebody else. And coach Steve, he blows the whistle. He stops practice and he comes over to me and he says, Dre, wait, what are you doing? You just, you were open for that shot, but you didn't shoot it. Now I understand he kind of reasoned with me. He said, okay, so what you're passing the ball now because you missed the last couple of times. You don't want to miss again. Listen, Dre, you are our designated shooter because as I told you all, I had developed this reputation as the shooter, even though I didn't have that much of a resume of doing it. I had done it more than anybody else on the team. So I, amongst this team, I was the shooter. So he said, Dre, you're the shooter on this team. You're the guy that we depend on to make these open three-point shots. So just because you missed the last one doesn't mean you don't shoot the next one. He said, Dre, your mindset is I don't miss. That's your mindset. Even if you missed your last 10 shots, your mindset is the next one's going in. I don't miss. That is the mindset of a shooter. And he, him telling me that told me, and this is something, and again, this is over 20 years ago that these things happened, but I still remember him telling me that. And it was the mindset of even though the last one didn't go the way you wanted it to go, you still had to show up to the next one with the same energy and the same confidence that you had when it was working. Now, this this principle right here applies to so many things that we do. All right, you go out on a you're going out in the in the world and you're trying to meet the man or the woman of your dreams. And sometimes you're going to strike out. You still got to show up to the next one with the same confidence. If you're in sales, all right, how many sales calls do we make? Versus how many sales calls we actually close. Most of us, at least when we're starting out, we miss more sales calls than we actually close. Do you show up with the next one with diminished confidence because the last one didn't go right? Or do you show up to the next one ready to ready to do what you need to do? You go to a job interview, you don't get hired for the last job. Do you show up to the next one not as your best self simply because the last job turns you down? Of course not. You have to show up with the same energy that you had before. And it's with any situation in life because... If you play the game often enough, any game in life, there are going to be many times when you just miss. There going to be many times when things just don't work the way that you want them to work. Can you show up with the same confidence, with the same level of self-belief the next time that you did the last time, even though the last time or the last three times or the last 10 times didn't work out the way that you wanted them to go? You can't be in the middle of a performance worrying about, hey, what if this performance doesn't go right? What if this performance doesn't produce the result that I wanted to produce? What if I don't get the outcome that I want to get? If you're in a performance with the mindset of this might not work, this might fail, listen, you might as well not be on the stage. Or you might as well not be making a sales call. If you're a basketball player worrying about, well, what if I miss my next shot because I missed my last three shots, you might as well let the coach know you don't need to be in the game and pull you out and put you on the bench. Because what benefit can you give to yourself or to the team or to the, the paying fans who came to watch you play? Not that they were paying fans when we were 14, but metaphorically, what benefit are you giving anybody if you're showing up in the middle of a performance with the mindset of this might not work, this might fail? You have to show up to every performance with the mindset that this is going to work, this is going to go the way that I want it to go, even though the last one didn't. And one thing that I always say about 
Kobe Bryant, who all you're familiar with, and you know, David was just talking about legends and people who perform at a, a really high level. I think Kobe Bryant's one that anyone who's a sports fan can agree he fits into that category. And the thing about Kobe that uh, many people don't really think about logically, but is 100% true, that when you compare or you look at Kobe compared to the other guys that he gets compared with, his uh, relative contemporaries, a guy like LeBron James or guys like Michael Jordan, these other Steph Curry, players who are really high-level players in basketball over the last, let's say, 30 years. Usually when you talk about a LeBron, you can mention all his statistics. Or he did this, he did that, he did this for that long, and he has this record, that record. You can list all his statistical accomplishments. If you look at someone like Michael Jordan, you can go to his Wikipedia page and read his accomplishments, and it you would it, you would get bored just reading through them because there's so many and so long. He has all these accomplishments, and he won all these championships, never played in the Game 7 in the finals, and undefeated in the championship round. All these things about Michael Jordan is all statistical. You even look at a guy like Steph Curry who can be creeping into that conversation. You have all these statistical things and the three-pointers and all the stuff that he's done. You can list all the stats. When you look at a guy like Kobe, though, the interesting thing about him and me being a basketball player and a basketball fan is that really when you think about Kobe and what made him great is not the stats. Yes, he has great stats. And if you read through his stats, I'm sure he has some great numbers that you can put up against whoever if you want to make an argument for Kobe being better than player X, whoever. But it's not the stats that made Kobe great. What made Kobe great was it was the energy. It was the audacity. It was the confidence that he showed up with in such a way that Kobe was the kind of guy, he even said this himself, he said, if I play in a game and I go 0 for 10, that's a failure because if I go 0 for 10, that means I stop shooting. I'd rather go 0 for 30. Because if I go 0 for 10, that means I missed 10 shots and then I just stopped trying to shoot because I was missing all my shots. That's a failure. But if I go 0 for 30 and I say, you know what, I just missed my shots that day, I'll come back the next day, paraphrasing him. The whole point was he had the audacity to keep shooting. He had the audacity to keep trying. And that's really what made Kobe great is the fact that he had the belief that even though the last one didn't work or the last 20 didn't work, he was going to try for time number 21. And that was the mindset that I got from uh, what my coach Steve told me here in this moment of I don't miss. Just because you missed your last couple of shots doesn't mean you stop shooting. You keep shooting because if you stop shooting, that's the real failure because you lost your confidence. Now, if your ability is not delivering on your confidence, that's one thing. We can fix that. But if you lose your confidence, then you pretty much lost the whole game. Moving on to number four. And I'm sharing best uh, stories and things that best insights that I extracted from certain stories that I got as a basketball player. Moving on to a couple of years later now, I remember this this team I was on, I was probably about 16 or 17 years old. And this coach, it was the same recreation center, but a different coach, this guy named uh, Barron. And on this particular team, I remember we had played in a Christmas tournament. And our team lost to like the next, the neighborhood next to us. They beat us in the tournament. So this was so I'm from uh, Mount Airy in Philadelphia. We have any Philadelphia people in here. And the neighborhood next to us was, uh, I can't remember what name of their, their recreation center was. Well, we all, we identified ourselves by our recreation centers, not by our neighborhoods. But they came in and they beat us in our Christmas tournament that we hosted at our rec center. And after the game was over, I remember I was walking out of the, the locker room gym. And one of my teammates was saying, well, the reason that we lost is because something, something, something. He gave some reason why we lost. And I said, I just made this tongue-in-cheek comment that I was I was kind of half joking and half serious. I said, no, the reason we lost is because y'all didn't give me the ball enough. And again, I was half joking, half serious. And I was talking to my teammates, but one of our coaches heard me when I said it. And the coach said to me, Dre, what'd you just say? And I turned to him and I repeated what I just said. I said, the reason we lost because they didn't give me the ball. And he didn't say nothing. And I just turned around, I walked out and I left. Now, this is right around our Christmas tournament. So we didn't have practice again for another week. Now, when we came back to practice, this coach who had heard me, he was one of the assistant coaches. He wasn't the main coach of the team. But I guess word got around to the main coach. So when we came back to practice, before practice started, the main coach pulled me aside. And he said, Dre, hey, come here. So he's talking to me. And Baron, his name was, he pulled me aside. And he said, Dre, you know what? You, you do a lot of talking about how good you are and how you could do this and how you could do that. So this is what we're going to do, Dre. I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to start giving you the ball a little bit more. We're going to run some plays for you, and we're going to see if you can actually deliver on all this talking that you're doing. And I said, okay, cool, let's do it. And at this point, I didn't have, again, I still at this point didn't have a ton of basketball experience. 
most of you probably don't know my background, but I didn't even play on my high school team until I was a senior. So at this point, when this happened, I was a junior in high school and I wasn't even on my high school's basketball team. I didn't play till the next year. So I had some basketball experience under my belt, but not a ton. So when he said, I'm going to give you the ball, we're going to find out what you can do. This is the first time in my life I'd ever been on a team where anyone on the team, like a coach or somebody like that, said, okay, Dre, we're gonna, you're going to be one of our main guys, and we're going to be depending on you to make things happen. Now, my 14-year-old team, yeah, I was dependent to make the three-pointers, but that's pretty much all they expected of me. But on this team, now he's saying, we're going to give you the ball, and we're going to see if you could do a little bit more than that. I said, okay, cool. So for the rest of that season, Barron did deliver on his promise. He did actually run some more plays for me, and things were set up for me to actually deliver. And uh, lo and behold, I delivered. And my ability to deliver on that team, again, this is still just a, a recreational league team. That team, we did pretty good. We went all the way to the championship, didn't win it, but we went all the way to the finals in our league. And what I learned from that is that there are times in life when you have the game, you have the ability, you have the skills, you have the everything, all the tools that are necessary for you to deliver, you have them, but you're still not getting the opportunity that you think you deserve or the opportunity you think you'll need in order to really you know, give back to the, give the marketplace what they want, but you believe you have it. And in these situations, this is where you get the phrase, closed mouths don't get fed. Had I not spoken up back at that Christmas tournament when we lost, even though I wasn't even talking to the coaches, they weren't, that wasn't even directed at them. They weren't even supposed to hear it. Had they not heard that, had I not said anything, had I not had the audacity to even make the comment that I made, who knows if I would have ever gotten that shot. And with that shot, I was able to build up a lot more confidence in myself. Like, man, I've actually, I'm one of the main guys on the team and I'm actually delivering on this team. That confidence led me to be able to finally make my high school team the following year, which led to me, didn't even do much on the high school team that year, but it gave me the confidence to know I could go to college and walk on. It gave me the confidence to know I could go to the pros and make my way into it. Had this situation not happened, which kind of happened by dumb luck, it wasn't even supposed to happen that way. I, I didn't plan it that way. I might not have become the player that I became. And you might not be listening to my voice right now. I might have had a completely different background. So there are times in life when you have to speak up to get your shot. And then when you get it, you have to deliver. One of the things that they say in, in basketball, I heard a coach named Hubie Brown once say this, that in basketball as in life, it is not whether or not you can shoot, it's whether or not you can get your shot. You see, there are a lot of basketball players who can shoot the basketball, and this is a metaphor here, folks. There are a lot of basketball players who can shoot the basketball, just like there are a lot of uh, vocalists who are great singers. There are a lot of people who have great, great, there are a lot of speakers who have great messages to deliver. There are a lot of would-be authors who have a great book inside of them. There are a lot of great uh, coaches who have great insights and materials that they can share with potential clients. The challenge is not whether or not you have great information within you or you have great talent inside of you or potential. The question is, can you take the steps and can you maneuver things in such a way to where you can actually get that value out of you and into the marketplace to serve the people who need it so that you can create the ROI that comes with it. There are many people out there as a former a basketball player, you know, during the last from 2015 to from 2005 to 2015, that 10 year span, all I did was talk to basketball players. I had a whole audience of basketball players and people just watching me talk and play basketball every day on, I was doing this on YouTube before it was YouTube. So I had a whole lot of basketball players coming to me every day telling me how much talent they had, how much game they have, how much they practice, how much they want to make it, et cetera, et cetera. And they all had the same problem. It's not a question of whether you have game and who knows if they were telling the truth or not. You know, on the internet, everybody's great. You let them tell it, right? But everybody was telling me how much skill they had and how much opportunity and potential that they had. The question was not, do you have potential? The question is, can you get your potential out? Can you show your potential to the marketplace? And can you get anyone in the marketplace to give a damn about your potential to where they're willing to exchange what they have for what you have? And that's the game. That's the sales game. That's the marketing game. That's the putting yourself out there game. And again, I put myself out there kind of by accident. But when that opportunity came, here's the second part. Now you got to deliver on it. Okay, now you got somebody in the marketplace to give you a shot. Now you got your audition. Now you got your, somebody's willing to sit down with you and let you make a sales call. Somebody's willing to bring you in for a job interview. Now can you deliver on that opportunity? You got to be able to do both. Create, have the game, or three things. Have the game, number one. 
create the opportunity to show your game number two, and then deliver when you show your game number three. If you mess up on any one of those three, then what happens is you end up in the most valuable real estate on earth, which is the graveyard, is the most valuable real estate on earth because so many people die with all this value and music, so to speak, still in them because they failed to get it out to the people who necessary, people who needed it and the people who are willing to make an exchange for it. Moving on. Number, this is my fifth story here. And I'm just sharing some insights that I got from some situations and advice I got from some coaches as an athlete. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get through all of these, but number five, this was on that, that same team. So later on that season, I told you that this team, we actually did pretty good. I did pretty well. We had some good players on this team. Our team went all the way to the championship game of our league. This is the team was a 16 and under league. And by the time we got to the championship game, I was actually 17 because you, know, you had to be 16 when the season started. So we're at the end of the season. We get to the championship game and we have been playing great all year, beating everybody. We had not lost a game all season. We were undefeated. We get to the championship game of the league. Now, I remember on this team, I still had this reputation as being this outside shooter. I didn't even really dribble the ball that much. I would just make these three-pointers and other teams would game plan around. Don't let this guy shoot three-pointers. So I remember we get to the championship game, the first play of the game. The ball finds its way to me at the three-point line in the corner. And the other team already knew, hey, don't let this guy shoot three. So as soon as I get the ball, they do, in basketball, they call it running him off the line. So they run at me, make sure I can't shoot the three-pointer. So these guys come running at me so I can't shoot the three-pointer. I actually dribbled around this guy a couple times and shot a, a two-pointer and made it. First play of the game, scored. The first two points of the game. I did not score another point the rest of the game. Now, I was not nervous that game. I was not um, – I wasn't scared that game. Their game – the other team's game plan wasn't that amazing to stop me. It was just that they were – they had game plan around beating us. They had studied us. They saw what we did. They shut down me. They shut down my other teammate who was a good scorer, and they just beat us. They just straight up beat us in that game. I don't think anybody was nervous. I don't think anybody was you know, really off their game. We just didn't get a chance to get into our game. And at the end of this game, with about two minutes left, we're down by a considerable amount that we probably couldn't come back. So the coach, he pulls me out of the game. Same coach who said, Dre, I'm going to give you the ball and give you your chance. He pulls me out of the game. And as he's pulling me out of the game, I'm saying to him, because this season, because, again, our team went undefeated, and I had played great on this team, I'd never gotten pulled out of a game almost the whole season. I barely gotten taken out at all. I started the games and I ended the games. I'm saying to the coach, well, what you taking me out of the game for? Because this wasn't the normal thing. And I go sit at the end of the bench, and, you no, know, I'm disappointed. We are, are losing the championship game. This is our first loss of the season. And one of the assistant coaches – same guy who heard me say, hey, they should have given me the ball more. He comes over to me while I'm sitting at the end of the bench and the other team who beat us is now celebrating the championship that they just took us took from us. He comes over to me and he says, Dre, I know that you're upset. I know that you didn't play your best game here today. I know you might be a little bit you know, mad at the coach because he took you out of the game the way that he did. But here's the thing you need to think about, Dre. Before you blame anybody else for what happened tonight, you need to look at yourself. You need to look at what you did and what you didn't do that led to this outcome. And he was 100% right. And this is why when I talk about the, the commandments of work on your game, my entire framework, my entire business, everything that I stand on, number one commandment is extreme ownership. Taking ownership of your situation, taking ownership of your circumstance, taking ownership of where you're at and who you are and how you got there, even if it's not 100% your fault. Now, in this case, at 16, 17 years old and me scoring only two points in the championship game, my team was depending on me for a lot more because that's what I've been doing all season and me not delivering. This is 100 percent on me. All right, There was nothing the coach did that caused me to be missing all those open shots. I was just missing and not playing well. All right, So there was nobody to blame in this situation. But at 16, 17, that was the easiest thing for me to do. But when his coach you know, told me that, he talked some sense into me. He told me, look, don't blame anybody else. You need to blame yourself. And this is something that I think is starting to get lost in the world that we're in now, 20, 25 years later. A lot of this is getting lost in our culture, whether we're talking about in the sports world, with youth, even with adults, is that when things aren't going the way that we want them to go, the first thing that we're doing, instead of looking in the mirror and saying, okay, what did I do to cause this situation? What did I not do that led to this outcome or this circumstance being what it is? We're looking for reasons to blame somebody else. We're looking for some, some, something or someone else to blame so that we can alleviate ourselves of responsibility. And the problem with alleviating yourself of responsibility is that you also alleviate yourself of power. 
power and responsibility are a package deal. And even though this coach didn't go this far to explaining all of this to me, I was able to extract it and understand it. And again, I knew as soon as he said it to me, Dre, who do you, who can you blame? Uh, you're the one who's on the court playing in this game. Uh, you're the one that's out here not doing anything. Who are you going to blame for the fact that you're not playing well? All right, there's nobody to blame for this. All right, you're not delivering. That's pretty much it. And there's nothing else to be said. And I had to own that. And something that I tell people today is, is the metaphor of the window and the mirror. Whereas followers and people who are victims of circumstances look out the window when things are not working in their favor. Leaders, on the other hand, when things aren't going in their favor, they look in the mirror. So which one are you looking at when things aren't working? And this is what that coach was explaining to me is one of the the best things that I got from being an athlete is the fact that at least in this era that I'm referring to, the coaches held you accountable for your own performance or your lack of performance. And there was nobody who was going to go against what the coach told you. Your parents wouldn't say, oh, well, the coach is wrong. Let's get you on a different team because the coach is being coach is not you no know, being nice enough to you. That kind of stuff didn't happen in the era that I came up playing sports in. And this is, again, what shapes my worldview and it shapes the business that I have to this very day. And it shapes the person that I am today that somebody could tell you something about yourself and hold you accountable for what you were doing or not doing. And you had to eat it. Whether you liked it or not, you had to eat it. And in the long run, just like vegetables, you might not like it going down, but it was more beneficial to you than the candy. Moving on. Next one was, this was years later, actually. I was in the, uh, this is on, in college, my freshman year of college. I was playing at the school called Penn State Abington, which is just outside of uh, Philadelphia. I'd only played there one year and then I transferred. But I remember I had a, a teammate named Steve. Now, Steve was a year ahead of me. And at the time, Penn State Abington, you could only play two years of sports. So it was set up like a junior college, but it was not a junior college academically, but you can only play two years of sports. So Steve was the second year guy, I was a first year guy. And I would always, I was, it was clear that by this point, because I was kind of a late bloomer in sports. I was growing into my talent at this point. In my freshman year, I was clearly the most talented player on the team, but I wasn't the best player on the team. That's two different things. Best is in terms of performance. Talent was in terms of potential. So I had the most potential, but I was not the best performer. And the coach would get annoyed with me a lot. He would get frustrated with me because I would just make these kind of mistakes that based on my talent, I should not have been making. Simple things like not knowing the plays and no messing up the way we were supposed to be running certain actions and things in the games. And the main reason for it, my excuse, so to speak, tongue in cheek, was that I didn't have a lot of game experience at that point. I hadn't played on a lot of basketball teams, so I didn't have a lot of experience in running the actions and doing stuff like that. Whereas these other guys who had less talent than me, they had more experience. They've been playing basketball since they were eight or nine years old. They just didn't have the same you know, genetics. They didn't have the same potential. So Steve... He lived in the same neighborhood as me, and at the time, he didn't have a car, but I did. So I would often pick Steve up, and I would we would drive together from school, and I would drive him home because we lived not too far from each other. And one of the things Steve would say to me, he would try to kind of be my uh, – kind of like big brothering me, trying to give me some advice on how to deal with the coach because he could see I would get frustrated with the coach being frustrated with me. And one of the things Steve would say to me is, Dre, you need to learn the plays. <laughs> you need to learn how to run the plays. You keep messing up the plays. This is why the coach keeps getting mad at you. He wants you to be that guy. He wants you to be the, the main scorer on the team and all that. But if you can't understand the basic actions and run the plays and you know, operate the system the way it's supposed to be operated, of course he can't depend on you to that. Now, mind you, Steve was only – at the time I'm 18. Steve is probably maybe 20, 21. He can't – I mean, there's only so much mentoring he could do for me because he didn't have the language to do it, but he was trying. And the whole point was, and I appreciated Steve for it, at least what he was capable of doing. What he was trying to do was help me understand that if you're going to be a member of a team or an organization and you're going to help that organization move forward, you got to know the program. You got to understand what the program is. You have to understand the system and you have to learn how to operate in the system. Even if you think you are the best person there, even if you think you're the most talented, even if you think you're the smartest and you have the most skill, you still have to be able to operate through a system and use your talent within the confines of the system. This is what it means to be a professional. See, being a professional is not just about you doing what you want to do, however you want to do it. It's about you taking the skills that you have and the talent and the opportunity and potential that you have, making it work within the framework of a team, of an organization, and then producing the results. This is what makes someone great because this, this is the difference right here between 
any of you who knows any athletes or ball players or any of you who has kids who has ball players, there's a difference between a ball player who's playing basketball in the street, playing pickup basketball for their, their whole lives, and a player who can go get on a team and play well. And it's a whole different world between playing in the street and doing what you want to do and being a star and playing on a team and being a star. Because on a team, you have to fit your talents into the system and still produce. Whereas when you're playing basketball in the street or in some recreational league or you're a, a YouTuber or an Instagram or a TikToker, or you don't have to fit into any kind of system. You can just do what you want to do. But there are different rewards that come with playing at different levels. Everybody understands what I'm saying. So you have to know what the program is and you have to be able to fit your game into the program. This is what the most skilled people can do. You could be talented and just go do things randomly, but skilled people can fit their talent into a system and make the system work still based on their talent. Moving on. This is this next story comes from, this is probably my uh, sophomore year, actually going into my sophomore year of uh, college. So I got recruited after my freshman year at Penn State Abington, I got recruited to go to this different school called Penn State Altoona. It was right in the middle of the state of Pennsylvania, maybe about 30 minutes from State College, the main campus of Penn State University. And the coach who recruited me there, uh, I went out there, me and my dad drove out there to go to a recruiting visit. And he showed us around the campus and all this stuff. And he's showing us the gym and telling us how it is. And he's basically selling us on the campus and showing us the dorms and telling me all the great stuff that's going to happen there and tells me about his coaching style and asked me about my playing style and all this stuff. And I remember we are at the end of our end of our visit. We drove us out to he was just showing us the city, just showing like here's what the you know you as a student here's the things you can do off campus. And there was a mall out there, so we drove out to the parking lot of the mall and all this stuff. And we're standing in the parking lot, uh, me and my father and him, the coach, and we're all talking. And he says, "Well, look, you know, at this this school next season, you no, know, we got a good team coming in." You will fit perfectly into what we're looking for. Because I already told him I want to come to the school. I already knew I wanted to go. And he said, you know, with all the players that I have here, I got a lot of, I got a good number of average players already on this team. These guys who are, they're good enough to play on this team, but that's pretty much all they're good for. That's about as far as they're going to go. They pretty much maximize their talent. But you, on the other hand, Dre, you have more talent than a lot of these guys, and you can perform at a higher level than a lot of these people can, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So I have enough average players on this team. And he said to me, Dre, I'm not bringing you here to be an average player. I don't need any more average players because if you, all you're going to do is be an average player, well, look, I could just grab somebody from the local town and I can get them on the team and they'll do the same thing an average player is going to do. So I'm bringing you here because you could do more than what those average players do. And what I took from that, what I extracted from that message was when you have game, you have talent, you have skill. It is your responsibility to show your full game and to put your full game out there to the world because this is the reason why you were blessed with that talent. This is the reason why you developed that skill and you developed that ability is because there are people out there in the world who need to benefit from it. There are people who need to see it. There are people who need to learn it. There are people who need to watch it. There are people who want to gain from seeing your skill, whatever it happens to be. You got to put it out there into the world. And that's what... It's a, it's a lesson that I needed to hear at that time, because at that point, as I told you all, I had I was a late bloomer. So I was just coming into my own in terms of my talent and showing my skill. But I didn't really know how to do it because I didn't have as much experience as somebody who might have had less talent than me. But they had been playing longer than me. They had more experience. So they knew how to actually apply it where it mattered. And I did because I hadn't been doing it nearly as long as many of these other people. So that was what I took from that one. <laughs> Moving on to number eight. This one was, uh, this goes into my uh, pro career. I saw a couple more of these and we'll, we'll open it up. So this is, man, this probably happened more than once. So this one was when I was in, I was playing in Montenegro. I was in Herzegnovi, Montenegro. And the way that this situation had worked out, the way that I got signed to this team was the management of the team came across some of my material and they reached out to me. I reached out to them. They reached out to me directly and I ended up signing contract with this team in Hurston W. Montenegro it was late 2007 going into 2008. I remember I got on the plane the day after Christmas 2007 to go over there to Montenegro. And the thing is, and this was a what made this a kind of a weird situation or an, an awkward situation for many people involved, was that the management 
usually when you play basketball professionally, the coach has some idea of the players who are getting signed to the team. Now, they don't make all the decisions, the personnel decisions, but they have an idea. They're like, okay, we're going to sign this guy or no, LeBron's going to be on the team. Kevin Durant's on the team. The coach knows when that player is going to be on the team. This situation, the management of the team signed me and they didn't tell the coach that they were bringing in an American player. So the coach had no idea that I was coming. So management signs me. They give me a plane ticket, I fly out to Montenegro. I come in to the gym with the team management and the coach is looking like flabbergasted. He has no idea that a new player is coming to the team, let alone an American player. He had no idea any of this was taking place. And what happened in this situation was that the coach was kind of at odds with management because the coach was at odds with management. He couldn't do anything to management. So I was representative of management to him. So in this situation, I'm like not starting in the games. I'm not getting into into the games till the second or third quarter. We're already down by 25 points. And I'm caught in kind of in the middle of this power struggle situation. And, oh, yeah, let me tell you the, the cherry on top of this whole situation. The coach did not speak English. And neither did any of the assistant coaches. So any issue that I have with the coach, I had to pull aside one of my teammates who was from Germany. And I had to tell him what I wanted to say to the coach. He would translate what I was saying from English to the native language, Montenegrin or Serbian, whatever language they were speaking. And then the coach would speak back to him. And then he would tell me what the coach said. And he would paraphrase stuff. So the coach would be speaking. Like the coach would say something to me. And the coach would be talking for like three minutes. And then I would say, all right, what did he say? And he would give me like a 10 second translation of what the coach said. I'm like, man, he was talking for way longer than that. That's all he said. And, but there's nothing I could do because I didn't know what this guy was saying. I couldn't speak the language. So this became this very, it became a very frustrating situation. I had a great time on the court there overall, nonetheless, but it was a frustrating situation because I couldn't really, I couldn't communicate with hardly anybody in this situation. I had to use one of my teammates who wasn't that great of a translator anytime something needed to be shared. And I'm caught in the middle of a power struggle. And what I learned from this situation was that there are some situations where you simply can't win and pushing harder only makes the situation worse. And at this time, that's exactly what I did. I pushed harder and harder in this situation and it only kind of made the situation more frustrating and just less workable for everybody involved. So this, my time there didn't go as great as it could have gone simply because it was just set up to not work. It was set up to fail. And sometimes in life, situations are just not set up for success for anybody that's involved. And you got to be able to look at that situation. And sometimes you got to cut your losses. Sometimes you just got to say, you know what? This situation is just not going to go the way that I want it to go. And you had to be strong enough, what I call, to do what I call walking away in strength. And there's a difference between quitting and walking away in strength. Walking away in strength is when you have put the time in, you put the effort in, you tried what you could try to make something work, and it's simply not turning over the way it's supposed to, whereas quitting is when you haven't even put in the effort and you're just deciding you're not going to put in the effort and you don't let the situation beat you. And I think there's a there's a distinction between the two. And there are times you got to be willing to walk away. And I'll tell one more here, and then I want to open up the floor. Let me see what I want to give you here. And all right, one more. So when I was playing in Montenegro, I'll give you this story. Actually, no, let me give you, I'll give you a different one. I was playing for this team called the Harlem Ambassadors. Now, this is in 2000, and this is before Montenegro, so going back in the story. And this team is, many of you have heard of Harlem Globetrotters. This is not the same as the Harlem Globetrotters. Harlem Ambassadors is like the Globetrotters, but like the, the Walmart version, all right, the Costco version of the Harlem Globetrotters. So I'm playing on this team. This is like a traveling team. Did, did the same thing as the Globetrotters. So we would travel around to different cities, and we would play like these half basketball, half exhibition games. So some of it was staged and choreographed, and some of it was not. And we would do like dunks and pull people out of the stands and do skits and you know, throw, throw stuff on people's heads and all this kind of little funny stuff. And in between, we would do a little bit of basketball. So on this particular team, the way it was set up, and this is a smaller organization, so it wasn't as big as the Globe Charter. So the owner of the team, I had a direct line to this guy. And I remember the way they had the contract set up. It was kind of confusing the way they did it and with the per diems and how much you got paid for each day and each game and travel on the road and things like that. And I didn't quite understand all the, you know, the details of the contract. So as we were getting the first, I remember the first few times that we got paid once we went on the road, I didn't understand why the amount I was getting was the amount I was getting. I didn't understand it. So I would call while we're on the road, we're in the hotels and stuff. 
I would call to the main office of the organization. I would ask to speak to the owner. And the owner was a guy named Dale. And I would speak to Dale and I would ask Dale, hey, could you explain to me, like, why is this this way? And I don't understand this. And he would explain it to me. He would explain, all right, well, we withhold this much and you get this much. And then this comes here and then you get this later on. And he would explain it and break it down to me to the point that I understood it and even satisfied me. And he would at least pick up the phone and take the call, which I appreciate it. And I remember the second time that I called him. And it was for the exact same issue because I didn't, I thought I understood it the first time, but I didn't. So the second time I didn't, I still didn't understand some things. So I'm calling him, asking him, and I would call the main office and I would say, Hey, can I speak to Dale is Dre? And he would come to the phone. And I remember the second time he came to the phone for the same reason. The first, as soon as he picked up the phone, he didn't even say hello. He said, Dre, uh, the only time I hear from you is, is when it's about your money. And he was kind of joking, but he kind of wasn't. And at the same time, <laughs> I remember asking one of the managers of the team when we were traveling, hey, can I get some of the, the game footage? When we were playing these games, I wanted the footage from the games because I knew I could use that footage for you no know, marketing. I could cut the footage up, market, promote myself for whatever my next job in sports would be. And it got word got around to ownership that I was asking for that footage. And I guess they took exception to that. And they're like, well, or why are you asking for footage of the games? Because that means you're kind of thinking about your next job instead of thinking about this job. And I remember thinking to myself, they never said it to me, but I would, they, the word got back to me. And I remember thinking to myself, well, hell yeah, I'm thinking about my next job. Because you're not. You're not thinking about my next job. You're only thinking about using me for right now. And when I'm no longer of use to you, you're going to throw me away the same way when y'all are no longer of use to me, I'm going to throw you away. So the only person who gives a damn, this is the, mess, this is the message and insight that I got from that point. The only person who gives a damn about the rest of your career is you. All right, your current job does not care about the rest of your career. Your prospects and customers, your clients, for the most part, don't really care about what's going to happen to you the rest of your career. They care about what you could do for them right now. So if you're not thinking about where your career is going, nobody else is either. So you got to take ownership of your situation. This goes right back to the extreme ownership point that I made earlier, which is the first commandment of the entire working your game philosophy is that you got to take ownership of your situation. And if that means maybe you had to disappoint a few people along the way to make sure you get what you need in the long run, you're the one who has to look in the mirror at yourself and at your career and at what you did or what you did not do, because nobody else is going to be making sure that you're okay when you are no longer of use to them. They're going to use you for what they can use you for, and they're going to throw you out when you can't help them anymore. This is just the way life works. I'm not even saying it as, as if it's a negative thing. This is just the way it is. This is just the way life is. When people can use you for something that will benefit them, they will. And when you are no longer of use, they'll pretty much forget that you exist. So you got to remember that you exist. So keeping one eye on the ball that you're playing with right now, but at the same time, you might need to keep another eye or half an eye on you know, where's the next ball going to be at. Because if you're not, uh, nobody else is, unless you got somebody on your payroll who is, whose explicit job is to do that for you. So with all that said, I'll share a lot of story here. We got about seven minutes. Let me open up the mic, and anyone wants to uh, share or add or ask anything from what you've heard here today, let's do it. And if not, I got a couple more I can fill the time hey. with. So who would like to speak Hey, up? Dre, it's Jude. I've been listening, hey, Jude. Been listening to, to you for a while. I tuned in just before you started talking about Kobe. And first of all, I just want to say thanks for this good content. And if, if anybody's just tuning in, uh, I hear the replay on this because there's so much common sense advice that doesn't just apply to basketball, as you know, Dre. So thank you. Uh, but the comment I wanted to make about Kobe, and I, and I listened to you about his confidence, and, and I don't know if this is true or not. One thing I do know is true for sure. But one, I heard that, that Toby, when, when they want, Kobe, when they wanted him to play more as a team player, he said, you know, someone, a coach said to him, and maybe it was Phil Jackson, he said, if you notice, Kobe, there's no I in team. He said, no, but there is me in team. <laughs> and, and I thought, yeah, I remember confidence. That. Uh, I just love that. But here's the quote I really love. Uh, we have Kobe. It's the collaboration of brilliant entrepreneurs with a C, collaboration of brilliant entrepreneurs. It's a coaching program. And mm -hmm. before we before we uh, launched it, I contacted, contacted our trademark attorney and I said, look, we need to get this straight because I said, there's not a basketball in the logo. I, had, I can't even spell basketball. But I said, I just want to make sure we're going to be clear because Kobe was still living at the time. And of course, his estate now. And and uh, my trademark attorney said, well, no, you're not. But he said, we'll file the, we'll file the, trademark, file the trademark for you. And of course, it was fine. And because I said it's with the C collaboration, but I watched Kobe the night that he retired from the Lakers. 
And a reporter asked him, she said, I heard that you're going to work out again tomorrow, the same exercise routine. Is that true? And he said, yes. He said, I am going to maintain, and I love this word, I'm going to maintain the same discipline I had as a player because I've seen what happens when you don't. And I thought, wow, that's really good advice. He no longer had to. He was in the discipline and in the habit, and that's what makes life to me. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a basketball player, a coach, a speaker, a, an author, the same disciplines that help you get where you are, you need to maintain. So back to you, Dre. Thought you might appreciate that. Yeah, 100%. And I actually remember uh, with Kobe, uh, well, first of all, Shaquille O'Neal relayed that story, too, to M and E, as in me and the team. Uh, oh, so apparently it must be true. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of people have claimed that story, so who knows who who he actually said it to? But clearly, yeah. he said it. And uh, but I remember seeing a picture of Kobe when he had kind of like the dad bod, maybe a year or so before he passed, and he kind of LOL'd about it and said, "Hey, give me a month, I'll get back in shape." So yeah, I get it, a hundred percent. And I've been the same way. I haven't played. I stopped playing in 2015, but I still stay in you know game shape, as we like to say, even though I don't play ball anymore. So I appreciate you sharing that, Judith. Okay, take care. Good to be with you, Dre. Thank you. All right. Who else would like to add something here? We got a few more minutes. If nobody, then I got a, a couple more stories that I'll share here. We got a couple more. We got a couple minutes here. But so since I didn't hear anybody speak up, here's what I'll, I'll share one more. Yeah, I want to say something. Okay. Right, who's that? Hey, what's going on? This is Tillman down here at the bottom. Yellow background, black tank. Tillman, top. what's up, my man? How you doing? What's going on, Dre? <laughs> So right. uh, just for everybody in the room, just for context, I just want to say that uh, I was one of those guys that was following Dre when he was doing basketball videos. Um, and one of the ones that changed my game specifically was this really basic, like three minute uh, cone pull up jumper drill completely changed my game because I was able to. You know, like he said, when you get ran off the line, pull in one or two dribbles and pull up from the mid range. And it's like you can't you can't defend against everything. But uh, I have a, I have a lot of Dre's books. And first of all, I just want to say thank you for, you know, having the courage to do uh, be this type of person to be the mirror versus the window, because that has literally caused the ripple effect of you creating all the books and the podcast and the things that you create that I personally get a lot of value from. One of the things that I think has completely changed my life is um, in the book, 100 Mental Game Best Practices. If you don't have that book, I highly recommend it. But in that book, he talks about creating this um, list and it says, uh, create a list of your accomplishments and refer to them often. And from a confidence standpoint, it has uh, really changed me, but also, I'm one of those people, I don't know if anybody can relate to this. I'm a very like A-type personality person. So once I reach a goal, I would just move on to the next thing. So I started it about halfway through 2021. And during that time, I was going through a lot of turmoil. I was the primary caregiver of my mom who was battling with cancer, taking care of two kids as a single dad, working, building a business, doing all these things. And as I continue to add to the list, it just does something where it allows you to feel so proud and grateful for your for your uh, ability to do what you want to do. So this year, I was like, you know what, 2022, I'm going to start off at the beginning of the year. And I just simply did it as an iPhone note where I could just simply add to it. Like, anybody can do this. And uh, i just been doing it this year. And I, I got to tell you, like, you know, that has completely changed my life in the sense that not only do I get the opportunity to feel proud and grateful for it, but... Um, a, a, a lot of what he says as somebody who, who played basketball as well definitely resonates with me. So um, it, was, it was a couple things. One, I just wanted to say, you know, express my, my gratitude to you publicly for the way that you, you've changed my life. Because I've literally shared that particular strategy with so many people that, um, that I come across in, in, in my daily life. And then number two was that I just wanted to, to point that out that, you know, um, you know, a lot of people that have businesses, you know, that get value from these businesses, it's always good to hear from somebody who, you know, consumes that content and, and products and services. So I definitely appreciate you for that. And then uh, n n number three, in, in, in terms of uh, Kobe Bryant, 
you know, I will say that every time I feel like I'm losing a little bit of motivation, one of the things that I do is I go back and rewatch this celebration of life. And one of the things that stuck out to me was that the last time I was watching it, I was on the Stairmaster about 45 minutes in, dripping sweat, wiping myself off consistently with my towel. And Vanessa Bryant said that one of the things that Kobe Bryant used to love to do as a dad was take his daughters to the koi fish pond. The last time they went to the koi fish pond was the night before the accident. And by me being a single father of two kids, I couldn't help but sit there thinking like, you know, when they were at this koi fish pond enjoying those memories, like there, there's no way they could have known that they were going to be in this horrific accident the next, the next day. And I try to always remember that in times where it's easy to get complacent, it's easy to complain, and it's easy to blame others because you never know when it's your last 24 and pun intended because Kobe Bryant wore number 24. So I just wanted to share that because, you know, his ideology of the Mamba mentality has literally helped me form my business, which is Phenomenal Fatherhood, which is, you know, basically created to help other fathers be phenomenal fathers, you know, and share everything that I can that I've learned along my journey as a father to help other fathers. But like Kobe Bryant, you know, I've been able to see how the ideology of the Mamba mentality has been able to supersede his life and how it has impacted people all around the world. And that's the same thing that I want for a phenomenal father. So I'm not really sure if that's going to help at least one person in the room, but that was my goal and that was my share. Appreciate you everything you do, Dre. That's my time. TG3, done. Appreciate you, Tillman. Thank you for sharing. And we are right at time here. So. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.